0: Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is Jake Rosenberg. Jake is the founder and CEO of a skincare company called Crete. Now, not our usual uh, fare, that kind of product market area. However, what I really liked about Jake was, first of all, the fact that he's very, very plain speaking, and uh, he, he's a bit of a polymath. And he's somebody who doesn't mind going out and learning stuff in order to work out how to make things better. And with the advent of GPTs, now got a brilliant opportunity. And he makes the point that unless you ask it the right questions, odds are it's going to take you to the wrong 11% of the internet. And you know how dark and miserable that place can be. So we're going to look at how to start businesses up the obstacles that you create for yourself that aren't necessarily real, and how to break things down into first principles. Jake's has a fascinating story, so I'll let him uh, introduce himself. Jake, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. My pleasure. So Jake, would you mind
1: giving us a couple of minutes on your history, first of all? Sure. I live in Los Angeles. I was born in Long Island in New York. Went to Penn, studied econ and math with a minor in Spanish, so kind of a mixed bag of things. like engineering without any specific thing and uh started my first company well i was tutoring in high school and college so i've always worked for myself technically i've never actually been ah, probably 15 was when i started tutoring yeah making some nice cash buying you know video games or whatever i don't even remember what you buy in high school probably some like cool clothing at the time whatever um and then coming out of college i started a software company we built plugins for e-commerce brands and that did pretty well. I had a shoe company that had a Bitcoin miner in it, so it made money while you walked. <laughs> uh, and that company got acquired, which is a very interesting story, but I can't tell it unfortunately because of NDAs. And then I started Crete, which is a skincare company for guys in 2019. That came from the fact that I have a scar on my nose from a ski accident. And uh, you can't exactly hide something on your nose, and so when I walked into Sephora, which I was told to go to at the time, I just realized it was there was no solutions for guys. And so I said, okay, well, let me look at the business of it. Really nice margins, easy shipping, low regulation, and just an incredible demand for guys to look good, especially in this day and age where we're all on camera, taking pictures of ourselves on TikTok, Instagram, Zoom, whatever it is. And so I started Crete, and basically, we ended up growing very quickly because of our 30-second skincare tagline. We make products that are you know, very small, simple to use, concentrated, high-quality, and guys just appreciate that they don't have to do more than use one product for 30 seconds a day to look good.
0: Fantastic. Okay. So tell me this, then. Starting this business, you s- Clearly didn't come from a chemistry background, so presumably that stuff that you had to familiarize yourself or hire in. Mm.
1: What did you do? Well, it's funny because I did. I was in part of the chemistry club in high school, but that had nothing to do with it. That was mostly like, oh my god, they're letting us use like sulfuric acid and whatever without (laughs) safety equipment, and we're fifteen. Like, so I always liked chemistry. I studied a little bit in high school, you know, advanced chemistry, AP chemistry, whatever, but. No, I do not have a chemistry background. One of the things that I I came up against when starting this business, before I put any significant money in or time in, I realized that the manufacturers were kind of all stuck in like 1987, 1988. Basically, they had their set way of doing things. You would come in and you had to pay a formulator $20,000, $30,000 to make you a formula. It'd take them nine to 18 months to get in line with everybody else who wants the same thing, and then you would own it. That's a long time to develop a product and get it to market. Or the other way is you go to a contract manufacturer, and they develop a product for you for free, but then they own it. So if they, you know, if you don't like the business relationship, if the manufacturing is slow, if the quality control is not there, you can't leave because they own the formula. You're essentially just like renting it. You don't even own a license to go make it somewhere else. I said neither of those are going to work for me. So that was when the desire to, you know, both of those things take 9 to 18 months and cost cost you something massive in your business, either the ownership of the IP that you need or huge amounts of money for an initial startup that hasn't proven anything. So the first product I wanted to make was a hydrating facial serum. And that's basically a, a, a concentrated moisturizer. A lot of people view it as, as one of the step in a skincare routine. But for me, it was the main product that Cleared up my dry skin, no scar, and a couple of other things. So I knew that it could stand on its own. I looked up the ingredients. I looked up the chemistry of it. I looked up the equipment to use the chemistry. And I realized there's no heating phase. There's no surfactants and oil and water emulsion phase. All these things. And I didn't know what those meant. I Googled them. Learned about it. Watched a YouTube video on them. You know, if you don't know what an emulsion is, watch a 10-minute YouTube video at 1.5x speed. Yeah. And you'll have some idea. Then watch another one it's kind of like the nice thing about this versus college or high school education is if I learned this, I could directly use it to try to make money and improve my life and enrich my life. There was a, there's, you know, what am I studying in college? You know, I took a class called world music and cultures. I like, great. Okay. That you were forced to take this. There was not forced. I got to choose to actually learn this. So there was, you know, a financial reward. And then I also enjoyed it. I'm not gonna lie. It was, it was fun, but, um, yeah, a month or two later, I had this, this formula. We made a 1,000 bottles, sold out of it pretty quickly. I said, OK, I have something. It took me a month or two and $2,000 in equipment and raw materials. So one-tenth the cost and about one-sixth the time. And that time to
0: market mm-hmm. is the difference between being first to mind and being an also ran.
1: Yes. And then again, it had the added benefits of now we outsource it. But it's not really outsourced. I know the formulator who's making it. I went and I trained him because I could formulate it. But the way I did it was very systematic. I said, "Okay, let me first go order ten to fifteen hyaluronic acid serums. Some came in droppers, some came in pumps, some." Came, and I was like, "Okay, why is that? Oh, some are liquidy, some are this." Googled it. Turns out that's because of the molecular weights of hyaluronic acid. Ones around a million daltons are thicker. Ones around ten thousand are thinner. Okay, what's you know you just you go ingredient by ingredient. And so one or two of the serums I really liked, they were thicker, they worked better. I said, okay, I'll go with a higher molecular weight blend of hyaluronic acid. And it was really going through ingredient by ingredient like that that I ended up with the eight or nine ingredients we have in this, mixed them, worked pretty well. And I said, okay, how can I tune this more? Let me use four percent of this instead of three. Let me use five percent, made five versions of just that. Okay, this performed better then it was just fine tuning the variations of it. And after, I don't know, maybe a hundred formulas where none of them were that difficult to make. I just had to keep notes. We ended up with, uh, with this, which is our flagship product. And we've sold so many of them and we have like a point, like a 0.3% return rate. Nobody returns it. Everybody. We have people subscribing monthly for a year plus at this point. So With the concealer we're developing, the chemistry was more complex. That I had to outsource, but I I looked for six months for a manufacturing partner who would actually let me talk to their formulator every day.
0: Okay. So again, what I'm hearing here is quite a a long-term perspective. You're patient, and you're willing to play the long game to get what you want, and you're jumping in. How do you manage to restrain yourself if you've, um, you know, g- got a great idea? Because you, you seem to be following something of a scientific method. Uh,
1: yeah, the the thing is, I've learned this by having a couple companies mentoring a lot of people, consulting for a lot of people. Ideas are not worth a lot; it's all in the execution. You know, just look at any of the big tech startups like uh, Facebook, Tinder, Snapchat. All of them got off the ground. All of them were fundamentally flawed from the beginning within the structure of their partnerships. All of them had founders suing each other, Mm -hmm. you know? So um, if they had just maybe paid a little more attention to an operating agreement, something every other company does, then it would have been significantly better. So it's not just about the chemistry of the product development. It's about thinking about all these things because the extra work now saves you from a catastrophic event down the line. If we didn't own our IP and wanted to leave, maybe one day that just screws the company. You know, Hey, this place is manufacturing it. This stuff is shit. We want to leave. Oh, they own the formula? Okay, well, that sets us back an entire year. We don't have products for a year. We don't exist as a company anymore. So it really was, I didn't see a path other than the one I took to essentially avoid people having leverage over me. We have our international trademarks. Why? Because I don't want to... Get big enough and then have someone else in a different country file, which they do. You know, people in China will just wait for a big American brand or Kickstarter thing and they'll file in China. They'll do that in Japan. They'll do that in Korea. And then they own your trademarks internationally and you need to pay millions of dollars. So I did that. I spent $5,000 and got all those trademarks up front. It's, it's those kinds of things. It's like, it's really a fear of that catastrophic event in the future. So spend the extra time now to avoid it. Well,
0: again, but in the work that I do, uh, experience has taught me that 95, 97% of all problems, um, you need to look upstream and not at the symptom that's being presented to you, because the problem that they bring is almost never even close to being the real problem. Yeah. It's uh, either a manifestation of a bunch of symptoms or they bring you nirvana. And say, we want all of these rainbows and unicorns. Yeah.
1: That is a good word. I was going to say symptom, right? If you have an illness, like if you just, you know, you keep getting migraines, like you keep taking Advil, but why are you getting the migraines? Maybe it's, maybe, you know, I'm not going to go into whatever, but yeah. Well, it's that kind of a thing you have to alleviate. Yeah.
0: There's there's a a useful uh, parable on this. Um, Years ago, I used to get headaches all the time. And they were just shooting pains from the back of my head to my eyes. And it was like flashing lights. Kept going to the doctor every few months. They gave me a different prescription. And that was going on for 10, 12 years. I did my back in, went to an osteopath. And after taking me for 1,200 quid to fix my back, he said, by the way, do you know you've got flat feet? And I was really quite offended because I thought I had lovely arches. Anyway, so he sent me off to a guy called Mr. Man. And he was a podiatrist, and um, he fleeced me for 234 pounds. And he fiddled with my feet, put them in plaster Paris. And two weeks later, these two lumps of plastic came back. And I can honestly say, when they came back, I was so disappointed. And he, he put them into my shoes, and I walked in, them, and they were a bit odd. And the headaches disappeared forever, because it was an engineering problem and we weren't looking at the real problem because in the UK we had 7 minute doctor's appointments they had 2 minutes to tell me i was fat 2 minutes to tell me i shouldn't smoke 2 minutes to prescribe something and a minute to get me out so they never bothered to get to the root cause and what yeah. i really like about your approach is that you're getting right to the job to be done the root yeah, cause
1: yeah that's that's my job that is my job is to figure out the thing that needs to be done it is to pick the direction we want to go OK, I would like us to be at blank revenue with blank amount of, of profit in that. Let's say a million a year. I'm just picking numbers. And I'd like $200,000 in profit. How do we get there? OK, well, what channels can be there? Amazon, Google, this, yeah, TikTok, Instagram. So you don't work OK, what do you mean by that?
0: Well, if you want to do the a million with the 200000 in profit, what happens immediately before that to make that possible? And
1: what the sales,
0: but yeah, I'm saying, and then you get there more in a more
1: direct route. Yes, because you need to know where you're going. You know, people need a goal. And I remember this in the crypto world, which I used to be an investor in, and I sold because when it was at the top, because I, I rode 2017 and 18 all the way down, and then rode 2020 and 21 up, and then said, I've seen this before, and I sold because I'd seen it before. But the point was, I had a clear goal. And if I hit that goal, I was going to sell. And I had discipline. Well, we got way past that goal. And then everyone started thinking they were geniuses. And then a lot of people didn't sell. There was a podcast I saw recently that's from a couple of years ago where there was a guy. He maxed out his credit cards. He took every loan he could out. He was working like a minimum wage job or something. And he put like $100,000. He managed to scrape together into Dogecoin. And it ended up being worth $3.1 million. And he went on a podcast, a financial podcast, and they were like begging him to sell. They said, "Sell it, put your money in three or four percent bonds, and you'll basically have like a fifty thousand, sixty thousand dollar post taxes income a year, which is more than you're making at your minimum wage job now, and you're twenty something." And he said, "No, man, it's going to go up. It's going to go up." And he didn't, you know, and he didn't sell. And now it's worth like almost nothing. And it was one of those things where if he had a plan, that was what I saw in that industry. It was a complete lack of planning.
0: Are you the people student? I know who
1: sold. Oh, yeah. Right, okay. Okay, because... Um, Including my own, to be honest. <laughs> that's one of the most, you know, if I mess up or I fuck up, like, I better learn from it or else or else it was just a fuck up. If you don't learn from your own mistakes, then, you know, then you're going to repeat stupid. them. It, it's, yeah.
0: it's genuinely stupid. I mean, if there is mm-hmm. a daughter... I think that there are two things that he or she would kick your ass for. One is wasting a single moment mm-hmm. and the other is being an asshole and not enjoying it.
1: Because yeah, absolutely.
0: You're dead for a very, very, very long time.
1: Yeah. They're in yeah, you were you were not here and then you're not here again for a very yeah, long time. That
0: that's exactly it. And yeah, you know, in the brief blink of a moment that
1: you have on this planet. I mean, you're probably gonna live to 120. We'll see. I mean, there's. I think there's. There's three out. There's three possibilities in my mind. There is. We're going to live to be slightly healthier or slightly less healthy because maybe those phones are irradiating us. These things are causing brain cancer. So maybe those kinds of things. But we have better nutrition. So in some balance of that, maybe we live a little longer, a little less. Then there's also. Oh, we have nuclear weapons that can destroy all of humanity for the last fifty years. So maybe just. The, Given humans and our craziness over a certain amount of time, the probability of us destroying the entire planet goes up. It's just is a statistics thing. And then the other thing is maybe that, you know, AI or something invents some crazy health hack and we live forever. So I don't know which one of those okay, is the be. Other we live forever, we're forever. we're done really soon, or life is kind of mostly normal of a balancing of, of new nutrition with, you know, poisons in our water and Cell phone radiating us. Well, uh,
0: again, I, you know, as I get older, I become more uh, rabid about these things. Then um, you know, I've gone the other way. You know, generally, as you go older, you become more right wing. I think I've just become more uh, middle of the road. And what frustrates me is the lack of cooperation, the lack of communication, the lack of discourse, and the lack of reason. And what I am really curious about is how your generation of entrepreneurs are going to break the yoke of the Jack Welch, Milton
1: Friedman cult. The Six Sigma, whatever. Well, G-
0: efficiency is great, but if you overemphasize any one part of a business or an organism, it's going to get sick.
1: Yeah, I think that those are human problems. I, I mean, I'm not yeah. semi-familiar. I've never read the books or anything about Jack, Wel- Jack Welsh's style of GE. I know enough about it to maybe not be fully ignorant of it. It's just, first of all, that was a different world. It was a different generation. People didn't have access to the same amount of information and knowledge. Like I can teach myself chemistry in a room with YouTube and Google in a way that, that empowers me to be an entrepreneur. I can go on legal Zoom. I can, you as an individual person, I think Elon Musk calls us like cyborgs because you have this thing in your hand that can give you basically any piece of information you want at any point, which is a different world. Being an entrepreneur now is just asking the right questions and making sure you have a bullshit meter that like, okay, here's an answer. Is that actually the answer? Is that just something I read in a top 10 BuzzFeed article about it?
0: What One thing I'd like to use as a build on that is make sure as an entrepreneur or a leader or a manager, you're going looking for people who disagree with you and use ChatGPT to act as your opponent in order to test your thesis. You've got to start checking because the level of stupidity that's created by people assuming their position is right just because they had a bright idea without testing it. And now you have no excuse because at your fingertips for free, you've got access to pretty mm-hmm. much the, you know, some total of human knowledge.
1: At some point in the last, let's say, 10 to 15 years, because again, I did economics and math and some scientific research in college. It was it was a different world when I was in college back in 2008. <laughs> I know, I know, but still, it's 2023. It's like it was 15 years ago. It's not yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, but,
0: but, it, uh, it
1: feels like yesterday to old bastards like me. I mean, look, it still feels like yesterday to me. But the overall point I'm I'm making is that the scientific method has just been completely. Education has completely failed us right now. They don't teach kids logic. They don't teach kids scientific method. They they teach them that your truth is the truth, and and uh, too many emotional arguments. There's room for that in life, but there's not room for that in like physics or mathematics. Those are there are answers. And so, one of the things that science used to be was you try to disprove it, you know, the theory of relativity. Can someone disprove it? Can I like you? Everyone should be overtly trying to disprove everything. And it's only after decades of not disproving it that maybe it's probably right. Because again, a theory means it's something you postulate, it does not actually mean it's correct. That's my mentality with almost everything. If my friend says, hey, come to San Diego because it's my birthday this weekend, I, I will actively think of the negatives about it. And when they're not there, I'll go. So I'll say, okay, well, how far is it? That's going to be a trip. Is it worth it for me to go for that amount of time? Is he doing something worth it? How good of a, you know, I'll think of all the negatives. That's just the way my mind works. And that's the way I'm a successful entrepreneur. Someone gives me a contract. I read it assuming they're trying to screw me. And then I look for that. And when it's not there, okay, it's a fine contract. I'll sign it. But when I inevitably find a couple of things and ask them to change it, it was that mindset. You know, that that that's the kind of engineering attitude where like things are not good enough ever. You can always make them better. So, like with this, how can I make this better? Does the glass need to be shinier? Does the pump need to... now? I asked those questions a million times and ended up with this. So, if something came along that was better, I changed to that in a heartbeat. So, that's my mentality is always improving. But to always improve something, you need to be very real about the existence that things can be improved. Okay. There are some negatives.
0: So, how much time do you spend talking to customers?
1: A lot. It used to be more because I did all of our customer service for about a year and a half every email, every Facebook comment. I started outsourcing that, but the person I, Hired to do that gives me regular reports on sentiment. Now, I gave him basically a Google Doc to like let me know the high level things. And then I balance it out with statistics. If we get three complaints a day, but we sold hundreds of, bo- you know, uh, 500 bottles, it's like, okay, well, that's a pretty small percentage of complaints, let alone returns. How many of those complaints can we solve? Two out of three of them. Okay. If one person is not satisfied at 500 a day, it's like, I can live with that. That's not a problem. You know, there is no such thing as perfection. That's pretty close. Basically, you know, a, uh, what is it? A 0.2% dissatisfaction rate. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, You could could give the best people, like the people in the world, the best hamburger and like one out of 500 people will not like it, probably more. So, you know, there's a certain rate at which you go, okay, I'm moving on to the next problem. Like this is a settled thing. It's about as good as it can possibly get. The formula in it, the size in it. The durability of it doesn't get damaged in shipping. The pump gives out the right amount, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's as good as it needs to be. It's pretty much settled unless some magic thing came along and I saw it then I'd change.
0: So how much of the product design, including packaging, the gloss on the glass, were evolved out of customer conversations and how much of it was just creative insight
1: or creative spark? It's a balance because I viewed myself as a customer. This was a was a brand that I wish existed when I was shopping for these kinds of products because of my nose car. And so, you know, I'll just, I'll show you, I'll just take you through it. It was one, everything's bulky and I, it's not travel size. So I wanted it. Well, if it's travel size, how do you make it a high margin product while making travel size? Okay. Literally only use the best ingredients, remove all the fillers. Okay. Well, that makes the chemistry actually easier. So this is a one ounce bottle. Why Amber glass? Because Amber text from the light better it also looks more expensive not gonna lie about that this is a it's matte finish it's why because masculine is not glossy right. it's more of a matte finish why this color well we tested a bunch of colors asked customers and they liked it why the line because we kind of cut through the bullshit it also lines up with the box and our other products why this pump well they were available i tried a bunch when you pump it out it gives the exact right amount it doesn't jam i tested it it lasts about a month with that pump with two pumps per day and it was just kind of every single thing had to work together. And, and you know, when you have a set of parameters, there weren't infinite options. So at the end of the day, I had to make compromises and settle to make the whole thing work. For instance, there was probably a pump I liked better than this, but maybe it was twice as expensive, or maybe the threading of it didn't fit on the threading of the specific bottle size, something like that. So um yeah. iteration
0: went into the product development, because it, it, it doesn't sound like you start out with the product anywhere near ready. It's uh, It
1: depends. The this one, oh my god, so many iterations, because this was the first one, and that was my foray into here. The body serum, which is a bigger version of it, probably 10% of the iterations, because I, are, I was like, okay, well, amber glass works. I want it to be four ounces, not one with four ounces, I want it to be a lotion pop. You know, I already had a familiarity with okay. the types of things I was working with. So it just it started off significantly closer to a final result only because I already knew to eliminate most of the things I didn't know to eliminate with this. The same thing with our future products. Again, if you have a clear path and a clear goal or concealer pen, I wanted something not feminine. I looked out there, so 20 different products. I said, okay, this one with the click pen, that's the one Worked so made made some decisions easier okay so
0: you're somebody who clearly is able to visualize the future and look at possibilities how do you prevent yourself from leaving everyone else confused because you're seeing 12 steps ahead
1: so being a tutor helped me with it or actually that's not right it's that's backwards I always needed a reason. That's again just part of my personality. I, I'm not going to go see a movie unless I can like kind of justify in my head with some logic, like why I should spend money go, go do the time. Like you know, why am I going to go see John Wick four on Friday versus something else? Why would I not play this? You know, I it's just kind of like a compulsion to need a reason for things, and that's just been my personality, and so that made me understand things in a slightly different way. And because I needed to explain to myself how things work, made maybe a very good tutor. Cause I could, I remembered how I went from not knowing how to do this math problem to knowing it. So I could explain how I learned it pretty simply to somebody else. And so being a tutor was a lot of practice about that kind of stuff. So again, my job as an entrepreneur, you're not supposed to know all the stuff I did to go into this. You're supposed to pick this up and go, oh, that's nice and put it on your face, and it works. My job is to have you actively have no idea of the steps that went into the product development. That's It's like Apple. You're not supposed to know the chips, and they do that for marketing now, but you're supposed to pick it up as a kid and go, okay, wow, boom, boom, okay, here, my phone's set up. You're not supposed to know the 7,000 design iterations to make it that seamless.
0: Well, p- people don't pay for the how. They pay yeah. for the outcome, and they mm-hmm.
1: raise
0: the outcome. If we don't start thinking of customers looking at us as a temporary fix, and then it's very easy to become complacent and become irrelevant Mm -hmm. because we have to adapt. We've got to meet our customers where they're going to be. And there's anywhere near enough emphasis on that. So how how do you keep your finger on the pulse of where your customers and where the market is moving?
1: I would say that there's just a couple of fundamental principles of like human behavior that you can see in everyday life. Why was Uber better than a cab? It was 50% easier with 10 different things. It was easier payment processing. It used GPS. You knew you had a specific car. You could rate the car. They could rate you. So it was good passing. And, you know, it was a couple of features that weren't mind bending, but you put them together and all of a sudden you have. Uber versus taxis, and Uber was a 50 times better situation, especially when it was much cheaper. Changed LA. I remember that when it first came out. Uber and Lyft completely transformed the city. And like, why was that the case? Because they just made a bunch of things significantly easier. The other principle I learned from the software company was that Never try to invent behavior. Just try to take existing behaviors and make them easier. Why did Uber work? And every copy of Uber that was Uber for private yoga instructors, Uber for this, Uber for that. Why didn't any of those work? Because nobody was ordering private yoga instructors to their house. It's not a behavior. Making a thing that nobody wants easier doesn't create the desire for it. People were already ordering cabs. You know, Yelp was Zagat or Zagat. I don't know how you pronounce it, but that book. You know. Yeah. It was just easier. It was a digital version of that. Why was Expedia like why did that launch? Because it was people were already using travel agents. It was just digital version. So that's another thing. It's like for me with Crete, people are already trying to look good. You know, they just don't necessarily think of skincare with guys. They don't think of skincare as a part of that. So all I have to do is minorly educate them and say, hey, man, you like get your haircut. You care about the way you look like it's your face. Like put this on for 30 seconds. It's super easy and you'll look good. So we kind of contextualize it into existing behavior. It also happens to be really nice that we're talking about a visual transformation and we can show that on visual platforms like social media and Google ads, Amazon, Uh, you know, showing before and afters is very powerful. So for other products that don't have a visual component as much as we do, it's a little bit harder, but yeah, that's, that's kind of it. It's like, well, making skincare easier for guys, it's like, that's, that wasn't really rocket science. I wish that I had that. So how can I do that? How can I make sure? One of our rules is no accessories, no okay. extra thing, you know? So Excellent. stuff like that.
0: So how do you prevent yourself from falling into the founder's trap, which is beginning to uh, think that you know what's best and not necessarily taking advice
1: probably a couple of things. The first is like, I just have never thought like that. I can, I'm can i wrong far more often than I'm right. And I have no problem admitting that. It's just, if you're right 20%, make sure to find that 20% and magnify it. So, you know, I have a million ideas and like I share them with people. That's another thing is you need to share them with people. Could be random people, could be friends and family, or could be your specific team that you hire who else has expertise. You know, I came up with some specific deal the other day, and I thought it was brilliant. I shared it. I was like, "That's so confusing. I don't know what you're talking about." I was like, "Well, if you guys who know the product and the company think it's confusing, a customer is going to have no idea what I'm saying." And so it, it didn't go anywhere. So you know, it just you need to. People fear feedback when it's actually like the best thing because it saves you time. If you have an ego that every single thing you do is supposed to be great, you're gonna go with the thing you think is great that's probably terrible.
0: The the best lessons that almost. Everyone I know who's been in sales for any length of time have come from their customers. Um, mm-hmm. and They did something and their customer respond, responded in a particular way or gave them just some honest and frank feedback. And the best thing you can do there is, first of all, apologize for being an ass, And then secondly, thank them and take some copious notes. Feedback is powerful as long as you keep your ego out.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's necessary. It's, it's a blessing. You know, when people are like, Oh, my customers are annoying," that your customers are telling you exactly what they want. They're telling it with you possibly on genuine feedback through reviews, comments, but even those kinds of things are skewed. It's like the reviews we get are usually very good or occasionally some guy just trolls us and says, Oh, it's a snake oil. Who's never bought our thing on Facebook. It's never a person who kind of likes your thing commenting on Facebook. So you have to take that with a grain of salt. But really what I view is, are people buying it? If we run this ad and people are not buying it, then that turns out that ad sucks. Like, <laughs> it, Or at least that ad to this audience is not good. It's like, I don't know, What do you? that's the reality. The sooner I uh, understand the reality, we can move on to a better ad. And the next ad we run and people are buying it like crazy. Okay, that's good. So it's a desire to get to a place where you're winning, but understanding that, like, Vanity metrics are not winning. Number of followers on Instagram for a, for a skincare brand doesn't mean that much. Sales means a lot, but sales doesn't mean everything. Are you getting those sales? You know, there's companies I talk to who raise VC money and they spend two million dollars to make a million, and they're like, "We crossed a million in revenue this year." Actually, you lost a million dollars. Which, by the way, I guarantee you, people could spend it in a lot more fun ways and just lose a million dollars. You know. <laughs> So, you know, you were basically a charity in life. It's like, you know, not really. It's pretty harsh, but these people had no intention for some of these companies I've talked to about making money. Why? Because they just, they're playing the wrong game. They're playing the revenue bounce from VC round to VC round. That's not me. I want to be profitable from day one. That's not realistic. Okay, profitable from day two, slightly more realistic. Well, we, we ended up having a profitable formula by a couple of months with one product. That's what differentiates us. And I had to be ruthless and pretty humble about my own ideas. I think something's great, tell people about it. And then most of the time, it turns out it's not that great. And then when something is great, you know it and you you ride it to like the next level.
0: And so as we're wrapping up now, how do you create an environment where people know that they have a voice that they can speak their version of the truth to you without being punished how how do you create the conditions where it's um
1: see it's funny because that's that's it's just a funny phrasing of like how do you create conditions where people feel like they have a voice i don't do that i demand you have a voice you better tell me what you think or you're out like it's actually the opposite i go in the extreme the other direction My developer better tell me what he thinks is wrong with our website or what he thinks is wrong about my ideas or give me some ideas. Like that's his job. His job is to bring me stuff, bring me ideas, tell us what we can fix stuff. So it's actually, you know, I have to seek people out who are the opposite, who are like extremely, hey, you know, our ads for this week were good. Last week they dipped. What I think is the difference is this and this is what we should fix. I go, okay, great. We ran ads where I was in them. They did terribly because we were going to an older demographic okay, that was my, that was, that was my idea. Maybe because I saw some other things. We ran the ads that my ads guy was like, yeah, we're not running ads with you anymore. I was like, okay, cool. They're not working. It's, I actually demand that people speak up and share their opinions or else what are they there for? So it's funny to me because yeah, in a lot of corporations, especially when they get a little bigger and a little bureaucratic, it's just like, you have to watch what you say. And it's like, with me, it's like, no, literally tell me everything you. Like, tell me the things you're thinking. That's your job.
0: Have you read Safi Bakal's Loon Shots? I have not. He writes about how organizations start out entrepreneurial, innovative, creative, customer-focused. And then they grow to a point, especially where the middle management layer is a bit top-heavy, moves the middle managers to shoot down ideas instead of encourage them. And then you start creating that rot. Um, I, I was uh, interviewing someone else for the podcast earlier, and uh, he was saying that the signs of a decline in these businesses were visible 11 years before the last uh, crash in 2008. And uh, Woolworth, when they went under, his business was almost killed off the back of it because they he'd committed to an £800,000 contract to fit them out with security and um, mm-hmm. they went; uh, they were declared bankrupt by Deloitte in the fir- within the first 120 days. And everything was riding
1: on that. I'll tell you what, we have a lot of businesses that are, I'll, I'll keep this as vague and high level as I can, because it might veer a little too political, but people are not hiring based off of merit anymore. And it is going to have a very rude awakening mm-hmm. in the next, it's already started to. But in the next couple of years, when all of a sudden you have highly underqualified people at every level of every major corporation as doctors, as lawyers, as this, and all of a sudden, you know, with AI and things coming up like that, as they get more competent, it's going to just kind of create an easier replacement of many things faster. So I have always tried to be a meritocracy person. I don't care what you look like, who you are, what your background is. I'm not even sure some guys I've hired in the past graduated high school. I don't care. It's like if you can do the job, you're hired. like that's kind of it for me, And that's why I've built a lot of things. That's why I've been successful. I know people who have startups and they hire the wrong people and they wonder why because they followed what society told them is the best hiring practices when it clearly was not. And so you know it's it's that kind of thing where the culture you know deeps into. It's one of the things I said was a problem with science, right? Science used to be about the scientific method. Now what universities do, which I am very anti the way science is taught at universities now, they come with a foregone conclusion, and then they try to back-prove it, whereas that's literally not what you're supposed to. Exactly. And so you know, there are many studies that people do in college that they get degrees on, that they go into $200,000 of unforgivable debt for. That are not going to teach you anything except for backwards thinking.
0: And also putting that many people into that
1: much debt uh, which they're never going to get out that of. That is an entirely separate issue that is criminal. Yeah. But, you but know.
0: Tim Urban's book What's Our Problem? looks at this very specific issue because the polarization in society has been driven by the bottom left and the bottom right. Mm. And either of them are willing to cross the aisle and uh, have discourse with people they disagree with, instead they mudsling and throw rocks. And if you're not with us, you're our enemy, or you're an idiot and we have to ruin you. And so I think what we've got to do is start taking a stand and stand apart. It, It feels like we cannot rely on government on either side, we can't rely on institutions because trust in those has been destroyed.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: AI has now created the conditions where we probably will never have another election where we can absolutely trust who is on uh, our television or on our computer. Because Yeah, it
1: could be second- a deep fake with a fake voice. You just, you know, it's, yeah. it's a figment now, yeah.
0: It, it needs three seconds to be able to mimic your voice that's all it needs on a phone call. So they can do a phone call, say, hello, hello, and you say you speak to it, and three seconds is enough for them to mimic your voice. Now, mm-hmm. the guys from the Social Dilemma documentary just released another film, and what they were saying, which is really fascinating, was by using uh, fMRI scans, they can actually recreate a very close facsimile to what someone is imagining. That's today. That's just off the recordings of the fMRI. The AI taught itself to learn research level chemistry for two and a half years before anyone in the AI community knew it was doing it. Now, this raises some really interesting questions, because the thing that we haven't talked about for the last 40 years, really, is ethics in business. It's something that you you might take a minor on if you're at college and never look at it again. But that's something that I think is desperately missing. And we have to really start thinking about values again.
1: I mean, it's funny because people don't care about ethics. They care about the optics of ethics, I would say. Yeah. They care about if they look at it. I mean, you know, even some of the companies we hail as alternative energy, they mine like cobalt and nickel in the worst situations with basically slave labor in Asia and Africa, you know? I mean, really known like no one it's it's not even unknown it's like these batteries are made of the worst the mining of these materials is the worst thing almost on planet earth no one basically okay why because like i'm going green by driving an electric car it's like well your car has done fifty thousand miles because of the battery before you even get in it so are you really but it's, people don't want an a to z thing because it doesn't exist yet you know they just want to be able to show their friends and their family and their society and instagram that they're doing the last 10% right, even if the first 90% is terrible. They'll still buy all the products from the companies that use child labor, like iPhones. I mean, I'm using an Apple computer and I have an iPhone. What are, you know? Our ignorance and our selfishness is legend.
0: But w- w- one of the things that really I'm curious about is when we lost our ability to cri- uh, think critically, because that seems to be largely suppressed. We fall into, a, you know, a,
1: Treadmill of compliance. I have two thoughts on that. The first is, were we ever really that critical thinking, and or is it just now that with social media, more people are louder, and so we hear more uninformed loud academics. opinions. Academics could
0: actually, help yeah,
1: academics could. could. Yes, um, that is correct. Nurse it's kind been a bit of bit of poison yeah, I think that I think a lot of it is unfortunately a cultural shift that has been allowed to happen significantly faster by social media. One of the things my mom said that was very smart years ago was that social media allows children to raise other children. You know, imagine imagine it's it's 1995. There's no real Internet yet. There's not really chat things. As a kid, you don't rate your parents raise you and your school raises you now at 12 years old. You're on social media platforms. You're probably not supposed to be on talking to other kids. And they're talking about their issues, and talking, whatever. And you just have far more communication. And the culture stems far more from like a more youthful perspective. And I don't mean that in a positive way. I mean, in an uninformed, hasn't lived a life, hasn't had experience. And so that just tends to shift things to more emotionality. I don't know if emotion. I think emotionality is a word. But emotional, emotional thinking. And some of that can be really nice because maybe it makes you empathetic to real problems in the world, but the problem is we're too lazy to actually solve them. So I don't think it's actually done anything good. So it had the real potential when people feel, you know, there's a video game developer. I can't remember who it is, but he said that like, there's kind of three levels of things. People are really good at knowing something is wrong. People are pretty bad at knowing what is wrong and people are absolutely terrible at figuring out how to fix it. So, you know, when everyone's complaining about politics or culture, they say, yeah, something's wrong. Yeah, you're probably right. If something feels wrong, it's wrong. Knowing what is wrong, that's the hard part. That is me. That is one of my skills, I think, as an entrepreneur, is trying to figure out constantly what is wrong with the company, what can fix, you know, what is wrong with our ads, what is wrong with our products, what is, you know, what is wrong with the supply chain and fixing it. But actually fixing it, that's where people win. And I know I tied it back to being an entrepreneur, but it's like, that's the issue. You feel bad about the environment. Maybe you think global warming is going to kill us all. So what do you do? You go buy a Tesla. Okay, that makes you feel good. You feel like you solved it. That didn't solve anything. That battery was made, you know, not not sustainably. You go to Whole Foods. I remember seeing it's a sustainably resourced shirts. And I was like, that doesn't even mean anything. But someone's going to buy that feel good. Now, the feeling good that wanting to save the world, it's like, okay, that's a nice thing. But you didn't actually do the you didn't actually do the work. You didn't actually look past letter A of the entire alphabet. And so uh, that's my issue with it, is, well, is it's I, about I, emotional responses to things.
0: I, I think it's also down to our laziness, that you know, the cognitive mm-hmm. overload of actually having to think about oh my God. stuff. For for me, it's the meat and grist of what I do. I love it. I can't wait to get up. And you know, having GPT to play with is causing me to become a widower. Oh uh, my wife!
1: We're also all addicted to dopamine. Yeah, you know the—I mean, the social media, entertainment through Netflix. I'm guilty of it. I love watching TV. I can sit there and watch TV, video games, uh, scrolling on TikTok endlessly. We also know, all know it's bad for us. You know, junk food, those kinds of things. Some people have discipline in order to compartmentalize or not do those things. Most of us do not. I eat really well, but I absolutely am addicted to electronic entertainment. There's no no doubt about it. Like I can't, it's a balance. And so that kind of numbs us because some, you know, when you're addicted to a specific kind of thing and you get rewards, it in instantaneous gratification. Yeah. If I can just read a news article and say, okay, it told me what to think. I, I now think this, and I feel like a good person. And that's what happened in science. Uh, that's what happened in academia. It's like it kind of got taken over by the culture of immediate gratification. Like science is boring. It's horrible. Research is boring. takes years and you're probably wrong. <laughs> like <laughs> congratulations, and it's academia, so there's no financial incentive. Okay, does that seem like it meshes with the modern TikTok culture of immediate gratification and emotions over logic? No, so there you go. And I'm sure it's more complicated than that, but that's that's probably one major thing.
0: Well, um let's wrap up on something small, wicked problems, sure. So are you familiar with the concept?
1: But I I probably know it without knowing the title.
0: Okay. So wicked problems are, by very nature, interconnected. If you fiddle with one part of the system and you don't adjust half a dozen or a dozen others, chances are you send it out of the kilter and everything turns to shit. So wicked problems are defined by the fact that whatever you try first doesn't work. The stakeholders differ. The rules change as you go. And whatever you end up with is always imperfect because there are no perfect solutions, only imperfect outcomes. Mm. Uh, Because of the interconnected nature and the at the same time, this immediate gratification, lazy thinking. What I'm seeing and I'm curious about your take on this is people buy technology and they try and fix the symptom without ever really thinking about what the real problem is at its cause. And so they create more downstream headaches. The number of sales organizations where their reps are spending an hour to three hours a day just trying to navigate their tech stack.
1: Yeah, pretty bad. One of the things I remember learning is my intro into being an entrepreneur after tutoring, starting a company was the lean books, lean startup, lean analytics, lean UX, like those kinds of books. And that just taught me a lot about agile development, which is just, to me, the only way to do stuff. It's build it quick, fast, test it, retest. It's just a mindset. But the main principle I remember taking away from it is called the five whys. And I think it was like from Toyota developed it. First of all, they had it where anybody on the line could just stop the entire line anything if they saw a reason. And then they'd ask why five times. But you have to ask why in a specific way. Okay, why, why is every piece coming out with a dent in it? Or like, why is the bumper falling off of our cars? Okay, well, it's falling off because the screws are not tightened. Well, why are the screws not tightened? Oh, because it turns out we have the wrong drill to do it on the line. Well, why do you have the wrong drill? Oh, because the guy who's in charge of the drill was out last week when we were Doing the tests. Well, why was he out last week? Why didn't we have a test for that? Oh, because the guy in compliance didn't actually say, didn't actually report. Okay. Well, maybe if we had better reporting of who was in and out of the office at any point, maybe we'd understand who was overseeing things, and we things wouldn't fall through. You know, you yeah. get to the actual root cause if you just ask why enough. And so that was just a principle I kind of take to heart very seriously when doing anything, when especially when developing products or anything ask why it's like, why, why skincare? Well, because of this. And again, that comes to your, if you can ask why and get to the root and you can explain it at every level, you're not going to make decisions that are, well, they still could be wrong, but they're not going to be so wrong. They make no sense. They're going to be worthy of your time and your money to experiment with.
0: So with that principle, do you then pass that down the chain of command uh, in order to put decision-making at the lowest possible rung and as near to the customer or the problem as possible?
1: Yes, also, you know, having a pretty flat management system is easy when you have a smaller company, You know, the seven or eight of us. Yeah, everyone is like, most of the people don't have anyone under them. It's me and then like them and I treat them as equals. Uh, I mean, I ultimately make the decision, but like normally if something is smart, that's the decision, it's not me making it, it's the clear and present decision. So I hire very slowly and I fire very quickly. I will put people through a number of interviews. They'll meet the team. They'll get grilled. And then no one ever quits. Like no no one ever quits. Because when you join my team, you are the exact kind of person that wants to work with someone crazy like me who will demand a lot from you. But the thing you'll get in return is results. You'll be able to demand a lot from me. You'll get to do whatever you want as long as it's a good idea. And we'll end up usually winning together but it's a very specific kind of person. And I, that happy, two days ago, I just hired a new email and SMS marketer. We'd gone through six candidates, seven candidates, finally found this guy. After I gave him a one week trial, he blew me away. He's on a team. I'll probably work with this guy for five years. So I just know it immediately. And that's one of the major things is because he thinks like I do. He thinks, okay, How many emails is too many emails? How many spaced out? If the customer was going to think about this after the last email, should we offer them? He's just asking questions. He's trying to understand. And it's still that, that pattern of trying to get to the truth. I can basically just trust him to do our emails. I don't have to do that anymore. It's going to give me 20% of my time back. Now I can go decide to do another thing. So that's one of the other things is the people you work with. They just, they have to be similar to you. And now if i let's say we grew five times and i'll kind of wrap this up if we grew five times you really bigger,
0: you really mean that they have to be similar to you or that you have to have some similar
1: shape? mindset they don't have to be me they just have to share the common values and kind of general high level process of of discerning the truth versus the not truth a boldness to experiment mm-hmm. while simultaneously understanding enough about their specific field from a technical and usability standpoint. Our developer needs to understand how to code. He also needs to understand enough design. He also needs to understand enough about animations. But then he and I will talk about ooh, which color of this button will do this thing, you know, or whatever. There's more. And he'll have ideas and I'll have ideas and we'll test it. And so he needs to have the technical and professional skills in his field, but also the mindset that I have, which is not my mindset, it's a mindset that many other people share.
0: Right, so by the time you hire them, you trust them to do the job and you let them get on
1: with it without Almost, Almost always, that. yeah. I give people about a two-week trial or a one-month trial once they, once I think they can work out. There are many people, more people than not do the trial and within like three days of working with me. I'm like, no, they didn't, they're not, they're not. Like when we actually get into the work, I realized pretty quickly. This email guy, after one week, I said, yep, I'm probably going to work with him for years. It's It's pretty easy. Because he brought me a presentation with a full analysis of all of our competitors' emails and then full suggestions of what we should do with an entire like visual design of, of all the conditional splits. And I was like, that is beyond what I was expecting for you to do and exactly what I wanted. So, yeah, great. There's more money. Let's, let's do it faster.
0: <laughs> Excellent, Jake. Thank you so much. Um, how can people get hold of you?
1: They can always email me at jake at crete.club. That's K-R-E-T-E dot C-L-U-B. And obviously check out our products at crete.club. We have really nice. It'll look really good in 30 seconds or less. There you go. Uh,
0: I may take a little longer. Jake Rosenberg, thank you.
1: Of course. Thanks for having Uh, me.
0: This is Marcus Caffey signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you've enjoyed this, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe. If you'd like to get in touch with me, then there'll be a link in the show notes. And my email is marcus at In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.